enlargement is at the top of the agenda of the European Union. Um, it is a time of global turbulences, so we must strengthen the unity and the security of our continent. And enlargement is the way to do it. Hello and welcome to your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evikiori and this week we're having a look at Commissioner President's tour in the Western Balkans. Ursula von der Leyen visited and talked to the leaders of the Western Balkan countries this week in an attempt to encourage their governments to continue their hard work to meet EU membership standards and warn the countries that are making less progress that Brussels' newfound appetite for enlargement might not last forever. The six Western Balkan states of Albania, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Kosovo, Montenegro, North Macedonia and Serbia are all aspirant EU members. Accession for any of them looked a distant prospect until Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine last spring got Brussels talking seriously about enlarging the EU again. But what was the main objective of Ursula von der Leyen's tour of the Balkans? Well, she wants to signal EU's continuing commitment to the region, especially to economic development. Dr. Dimitar Bechev is a visiting scholar at Carnegie Europe, an organization focused on the strategic issues facing the European Union and its member states, and he's also a lecturer at the University of Oxford. The visit comes a week uh, ahead of uh, the regular reports, which are due uh, next week. We have expectations in some places that there will be um, important steps taken uh, by EU leaders uh, once they get to decide on the future of enlargement in December. For instance, in Bosnia and Herzegovina, there is a real hope that you might be heading to opening membership negotiations. Ursula von der Leyen mentioned during her tour that in order the EU to become a stronger player in the global political arena, it needs to be a bigger union as well, reassuring the Balkan countries that they do belong in the union. However, these countries have been in the waiting list for decades and the situation in Ukraine has influenced their position. So how has Ukraine influenced the prospects of EU membership for Balkan aspirant states? I think in a positive way, because Ukraine has made the enlargement a priority once more. Uh, before the full-scale invasion, the EU was paying lip service to an extent, uh, but it was busy with other uh, issues and other challenges. Now, um, relations with neighbors are on top of the list. And you could see that uh, last year when um, EU leaders took the decision to promote Ukraine and Moldova into membership candidacy. As a compensation, they also gave the same thing to Bosnia. So overall, it's a positive dynamic. It's just that uh, I think enlargement or membership uh, remains a distant prospect for most of the Western Balkan countries. The Balkan region's race towards the EU is a messy one, but the candidate member states are progressing with one country being the most advanced on the path to membership, according to the Commission's president. So which country is the star pupil on the path to EU membership and what are the plausible scenarios for the rest of the candidates? If you ask me who has the best chance to become the next member state, I would still say Montenegro because they've been longest in the game, they've aligned their legislation to an extent. They have been frontrunners on things like green transition. The only downside, of course, is that they have 
that they've had a very shaky domestic political situation. And then next in the queue are North Macedonia and Albania. Uh, Albania has been negotiating since last year. North Macedonia is sort of halfway to the negotiation because of all the political obstacles to do with this between Bulgaria. Um, so that's the that's the best case scenario, I suppose. And then Kosovo, Serbia and Bosnia will be in the next year. The relations between Serbia and Kosovo remain a thorning issue for the EU, with President von der Leyen sending a clear message. If the relations between the two aren't normalized, their future in the Union will be also compromised. We need normalization between Serbia and Kosovo. The violent attack of the 24th of September in North Kosovo um, is completely unacceptable. The perpetrators must be held accountable and brought to justice. Um, this is absolutely crucial um, for both to engage and to go the path of normalization. In this respect, it is important that Serbia should endorse the statute of the association community. Kosovo has to implement this statute. And in addition, it is essential that Serbia begins the implementation of the existing agreements and does not lose time on this. Going forward with that, the right place to discuss all these issues is the EU-facilitated dialogue. This is the only way forward. It is a good way to access the growth plan, but more importantly, it is the best way towards a future in which Serbia is part of the European Union. Without solution, uh, it's hard to conceive of Serbia as a member. And there is a blueprint now. Obviously, the US has a very clear idea of what, what it wants to achieve. And roughly, um, it wants to secure a de facto recognition of Kosovo's sovereignty in exchange for Kosovo Serbs being granted a form of autonomy in the north. Kosovo and Serbia have different ideas about sequencing, which should come first. Serbia would say autonomy, Kosovo says recognition. And most importantly, um, the main motivator, the main carrots, membership in the EU is a long distant prospect. So it's hard to motivate a Balkan actors for something that might come in another 10 years or even, even longer. But Commissioner President didn't visit the Balkans only to list the EU's requirements. She also promised a financial package of 6 billion euros for the region. Something that makes only few in the Western Balkans doubt that the EU offers the best economic deal for their country's future. The main incentive is the 6 billion euro that the EU is putting forward, which mirrors the same financial instrument that we have internally with the post-COVID next generation EU fund. And this is supposed to spur industrial development, green transition projects, investment uh, in innovative businesses and stronger links with the EU. The EU remains the main trading partner for the Western Balkans and the main source by far of foreign direct investment. So there are lots of economic incentives. Um, the EU's vision is to have the region involved in or integrated into the single market. Um, but whether that's enough for political elites in the region to embark on, it's an open-ended question that we 
don't have an answer right now. And while the incentive for Balkan leaders is there, so are the challenges, and the main one for them is weighing up the political cost of necessary reforms, and the fact that no one actually knows how long the accession process can take makes things even more complicated. Well, there are obstacles both on the EU side and on the side of the region. On the side of the EU, um, there is no appetite for enlargements. Of course, Ukraine has changed that a bit, but still... There will be always something else that you will be grappling with. Uh, and you could argue that the current status quo, where the Balkans are integrated but are not given membership, uh, is probably something that elites in Western Europe can live with. It's not unsustainable from their point of view. Um, equally, Balkan leaders, they um, bemoan the, the EU reluctance to accept new members, but they have adapted very well to this uh, condition of being made to wait uh, because they can tell populations that you doesn't want us, um, but uh, we are doing our best. They try to build relationships with other actors, including China and Russia in some cases, uh, Turkey as well. And they have an excuse for not doing reforms, not changing the judiciary, not fighting corruption, because the EU is not serious about its commitment. And that makes it even harder because state capture, corruption, uh, demographic decline, um, the low trust in institutions are chronic uh, challenges in the, in the region. So I see those problems on both sides. Ursula von der Leyen is eyeing another term for the Commission's presidency and the Balkans and the EU's enlargement are high initiatives to give her a strong voice. She's very ambitious and she wants to stay for another term, uh, which was the case with some of her predecessors. It won't be um, setting a precedent. But it's not just the Balkans. She has a number of other high-profile initiatives where she has been in the lead, being a strong voice on Balkan policy uh, is certainly um, a necessary condition. And she's not the only one in the Brussels machinery. You have also the External Action Service, which is doing Kosovo Serbia. And uh, you also have to an extent Charles Michel, the head of the uh, EU Council, remember his statement about 2030. And we have national leaders in Samaniova at home in France, but also uh, Chancellor Scholz, who are active. So in this interinstitutional dynamic, Ursula von der Leyen has an incentive to be a forceful voice because the Commission holds the money and controls the negotiations, so they have institutional power to shape the process. Thank you very much. I am Evi Kiori and this was your Active's Beyond the Byline podcast. Visit your Active to stay on top of the latest news, sign up to our podcast newsletter and if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music or wherever you're listening to podcasts. Thank you for tuning in and until next week. This episode produced by Active is part of the Trust Project.